So welcome to the Food is Our Middle Name podcast. I'm your host, Tori Moore, and today we'll ask two cattlemen what the deal is with those cow pastures you see as you're driving across Florida. So today we'll have Dr. Todd Thrift, who's a UFIFAS beef cattle specialist, and Jim Strickland, owner of Strickland Ranch and past president of the Florida Cattlemen's Association. So first, I want to give a warm welcome to Todd and Jim. Thank you so much for being on the podcast today. On the podcast, we have a little bit of a game that we play to kick off each episode. So Todd, I'm going to sign you up for this one, okay? That'd be fine. All right. So I'm going to ask you a quick rapid fire series of fun food questions, and you'll have 15 seconds to answer as many questions as you can. And then once we're done with that, we'll get right on into our interview. Are you ready? Ready. Okay. So here we go. What is your favorite food? Steak. Coffee or tea? Iced tea. Food you hate? Sushi. Oh, sweet or spicy? Spicy. Favorite meal of the day? Steak. How do you like your steak? And dinner. Oh, yeah, there we go. Okay. <laughs> What's your ice cream order? Chocolate. Favorite. Oh, time's up. <laughs> that was awesome. Thank you so much for playing that game with me. I love that your answer was steak to not just one, but two <laughs> answers. I love a good steak for dinner as well. So uh, let's get right into our interview. Uh, first, I want to learn a little bit more about each of you. Um, so Todd, first, if you'll tell me what your role as a beef specialist for UFIFAS is and what that looks like, what a day in the life looks like for you. So I have a varied role with IFAS. I am a 70% teaching. I teach courses in cow-calf management, feedlot management, seed stock production, beef practicum, uh, a myriad of all the beef cattle courses here at the university. Uh, and then I have a 30% appointment in beef cattle extension, where it's basically uh, adult education relating to uh, anything relating to a cow or the beef industry or anything surrounding the beef industry. That ranges from food all the way back to the very production, the reproduction, the very basics of, of management and husbandry that go into the uh, beef production industry. Okay, thank you. And Jim, as we discussed already a little bit, you're a cattle rancher. So tell me a little bit about you and your ranch. Well, let me say I, uh, I own Strickland Ranch, which is primarily lease, lease land. I'm a managing partner of Big Red Cattle Company, which we have a purebred Brayford herd. We raise hay. We lease our farmland there. Uh, manager of several other places. Uh, Black Bears Ranch is one of them. Uh, Two Smart Guys is one of them. Manchu Poo. The Prairie Ranch, you know, these are not huge expanses of ranches, but these are covering in uh, Sarasota, Manatee, and DeSoto County. Primarily a cow-calf operation. We do participate and part owner of Florida Cattle Ranchers, which is a group of about 12 ranchers in the state of Florida, which are really great ranchers that produce beef, that feed beef here in Florida, and then market that beef under Florida Cattle Ranchers branded program. Okay. And tell me a little bit more about uh, Strickland Ranch. I know that um, I think it's a family ranch and it has a really deeply rooted history. Is that right? It does. Uh, my, my family, the Strickland portion of the family came, came down from Georgia about 1850, 1860. We've never amassed any great amount of land or, or any fame or fortune down here. I think all of us through these generations have really loved a cow. Uh, so that, uh, a little genealogical research we did in England that we saw Strickland is land of Strick or 
keeper of the cows. So that was a really interesting uh, piece of our genealogical search in England. The McDonald side of my family, of course, is Scottish, and they come from Sky. And both sides of the family have history of being in the cattle business. Very nice. And I actually want to comment on um, actually both of your backgrounds, which I know podcast listeners, you can't see. Uh, but Jim, tell me a little bit about where you are joining us from right now. Um, and, and what you're doing today. Great question. Uh, in case I get cut off by a whole group of University of Florida filmmakers coming, coming in here. Uh, I'm at Longino Ranch today. One of my if oldest, best cowboy friend is Cliff Coddington. Cliff is president currently of the Florida Cattlemen's Association. And with us today is uh, Wes Carlton from the East Coast, Alapata Ranch, Spur Ranch. And he is over here. And they're working with University of Florida, filming the culmination of our upcoming annual convention in Marco Island, where they put films up on the big screen and tell kind of history of, of the last year of Mr. Coddington's presidency and what he hoped to accomplish. And then you'll hear from Wes Carlton, you know, that uh, he's teeing us all up for what he would love to accomplish in his year of leadership of the Florida Cattlemen's Association. So if I do get interrupted, it's because a whole group of University of Florida film students came in here and needed their equipment. And I'll move to another room. Right. And if your audio quality isn't the best, it's because you're out on a literal ranch. <laughs> but thanks again for joining us. And then Todd, again, to describe for our listeners, you are in your office, right? And you have tons of papers behind you. And I think that that might speak to uh, the extent of your role and just how much you do, how busy you are and what you do to support Florida cattle ranching. Yes, yeah. I've certainly, this is 21 years accumulation of stuff uh, things that I think are important, too important to throw away. And so I keep a lot of stuff in here. Uh, someday if the internet ever crashes, I will have all the beef cattle knowledge hemmed up in one spot. <laughs> Thank goodness. You'll, you'll save us all, right? That's right. <laughs> all right. So let's get to talking about the Florida cattle industry as a whole. So I think about, you know, when people come to visit Florida and maybe they're making a commute down to South Florida, they're driving down the road, they see all these cows on the side of the road. So uh, what are they seeing? It's beef cattle, but but what is it that they're seeing? So Todd, I'll let you start with that. Tell us a little bit about those operations. So Florida is uh, very unique. If we go back historically, the first cattle were brought to Florida in 1521. So for 501 years, uh, the oldest industry in this state has been cattle ranching. The Spanish originally ranched and had cattle here. They were eventually uh, displaced by the Indians, what we, what we know today as the Seminole Indians, but were different tribes at the time. Uh, the English uh, came in and settled and, and adopted, and a lot of them, like, like Jim's family, the Scottish that came from the Carolinas, came into this area and started to ranch. So ranching has, has existed here for a long time. And prior to the advent of air conditioning, Florida was pretty much a, a wasteland where we basically just had cows all over. Um, the fence law in Florida was passed in 1949, which was we were the last state in the United States to pass a fencing law that said you had to fence your cows out or had to fence your cows in rather than fencing the cows out of a of a. A particular parcel of land. So 
it's very unique. We were open range forever. Now, things have changed a lot since 1949. What you see when you drive down the road uh, on the turnpike are predominantly cows. Florida is predominantly a cow-calf state. We are 10th nationally in terms of the number of cows. There are about 950,000 mama cows in the state. Those are basically our factory. Uh, those, those cows will produce a calf that weighs around 500, 550, 600 pounds at seven or eight months of age. And a big percentage of those calves will leave the state uh, in that uh, seven, eight month range and go out west for more, further grazing or ultimately into a feedlot. Um, Florida is very unique. We have eight of the top 15 largest cattle ranches in the United States. If you get off a plane in Orlando in 30 minutes, you can be on Deseret Ranch, which has over 40,000 cows. Wow. And so we have a very unique um, industry here for sure. Very different than lots of the rest of the Southeast. Thanks so much for painting that picture. I think uh, that helps provide a lot of clarity again to, to what people are seeing. And so, uh, so Jim, we talked about how, at least for you, this is a family affair. Is that common of the cattle business? Um, is that, is it often a family operation? Yeah, most everybody, uh, most everybody that I'm associated with, most everybody, uh, it's a family operation of some sort. And, uh, you know, there's only so many ways you can split the proverbial pie as generations pile up upon generations. You know, you started with great grandmother and great grandfather. And then, you know, now all of a sudden we've got 50 heirs to this ranch and cattle ranchers usually operate on a fairly slim margin of profit, uh, on these, on these lands. So most everybody I know, uh, in the cattle business is, is family. Uh, but that never should preclude anybody that's not, in the cattle business, their mother and father were not in the cattle business, but if they want to be and they they have a desire to be there, there's a spot for them in this in this world we call the cattle industry of Florida or America. And I always encourage everybody that if you didn't come from a cattle ranching family, that does not mean you cannot go to University of Florida and get a degree in animal science or anything and have professors like Dr. Todd Thrift teach you what you want to love because not everybody in the family may love cattle business or you may marry into that family business. You may be a manager or you may be an allied member that could help us with feed, with fertilizer, with all those things that we depend on those experts. Um, that's my story. And to add one little fact to Todd's 501 years, I am sitting about 35, 39 miles is where the first cattle landed in North America in 1521. Wow. That's awesome. So tell me now that we know what Florida's beef cattle industry looks like, you've given some detail as to how it's unique. What is different about the, the cattle themselves versus maybe some cattle you see um, out West? So in the Gulf Coast, um, we deal with a lot of different challenges than they might out west. They have challenges as well. Um, they're, you know, our, uh, the people that we deal with out west are dealing with fires, they're dealing with blizzards, they're dealing with all those kind of things. We deal with a lot of rain. We deal with a tremendous amount of humidity. We deal with uh, often being very wet. And the type of cow that thrives in this Gulf Coast climate is generally a Brahmin cross cow. Um, Brahmin is a breed that's very noted for their heat tolerance and their uh, adaptation to insects. 
They were founded in this country in the, right at 100 years ago. Um, and they are the foundation for many of the other breeds, like the Brayford that, that Mr. Bud Adams founded here in Florida, the Santa Gertrudis, which was founded at King Ranch, the Beefmaster, which was founded in South Texas. So the Gulf Coast, the unique environment we have, we can grow a tremendous amount of grass, but the grass is very low quality. The environment is very hot. An Angus cow, for instance, that we might see in South Dakota, she would love it to be about 55 degrees. That's where she's most comfortable. And we're very rarely at 55 degrees. We've got one month, maybe two months where we're dealing with that. She's heat stressed at 85, which is us about 10 months of the year. So our industry is a lot different than out West. The way we handle cattle, um, the type of cattle, the management of our forages, the way we handle the land, all of those kinds of things are, are, are very different, even though we're all producing the same product. Mm-hmm. So tell me uh, a little bit more about, you don't have to get into the exact science maybe, but about heat stress. What does heat stress do to a cow? Why is that bad? So anytime a cow is heat stressed, we can have issues. She, uh, you know, if you think about yourself and you're out mowing the lawn and it's hot, and, uh, you know, your, your significant other says, hey, come on in. I've just cooked a big giant meal. Would you like to eat? Uh, I got two pounds of bacon and four pork chops. And, you know, when you're hot, you don't want to eat. And that's true of cows. So their feed intake goes down considerably. Um, their level of milk production can go down to some degree. We have a lot of researchers here in my department that work on embryo survival because the embryo vitality can go down. The embryo can, can actually, the pregnancies can actually be uh, harmed by the heat. A bull's desire to mate goes down. A lot of things. Heat is, is really kind of detrimental. And we think about a lot of other cattle. They came from very cold parts of the world. Angus, Angus came from Scotland. Many of our cattle came from England or Europe. Um, and so the heat, they're, they're not really as adapted to that, to that heat. And it does have multiple effects. Yeah. It sounds like it. I mean, it's, it's more than I would just assume. Uh, and I know this Florida heat is intense as like, as you said, mixed with the humidity and the wet environment, it can be really, really, really hard. And because we're a peninsula state, we get a lot of solar radiation more here than they might in Texas or New Mexico or Arizona. You know, we have cattle all over in Arizona, New Mexico, and it gets 120 degrees and that's really hot. But mm-hmm. at night it's 55 degrees and they can get some relief. Whereas at night here, sometimes we're 80, 85 with 100 percent humidity. So we're really operating cow-calf operations in, in what we call the emergency temperature humidity index. I mean, that's that's where we're at eight, nine months of the year. Uh, and there's certain types of animals that really thrive under those conditions. Yeah. So Jim, tell me a little bit more about additional maybe challenges you face as a, uh, a cattleman in Florida. We live in a subtropical area, especially us down here in South Florida. We're a lot different than, say, Gainesville North. You know, and you'll see a little different type of cattle for the most part in North Florida as opposed to South Florida. But what I live with is coming up with animals that can thrive, can survive the mosquitoes and the water and the mud, the heat that he talks about, you know, and it's that constant searching for genetics that 
I love a female. I love whenever we are producing really nice Brayford beef master, bringing his female, something with a little Brahmin in them. Uh, they're gentle, you know, teaching them how to, you know, to hold up with dogs to, you know, that whole selection process. I look when I go into a herd for females, because that's what's going to keep me in business. It's going to keep me in business. So some of some of those females that I have, I've had their mothers, their grandmothers, their great grandmothers, their great great grandmothers. I mean, there's been a lot of them that have been in the business. But at the same time, one of the things that is our challenge, as he has talked about, is still producing an animal that will convert feed, that will grade and yield whenever it hits a feedlot, or it goes to Kansas or Oklahoma, and it hits, you know, it hits the grassland. So something out there that can survive that we can ship from Florida that we can make money on that somebody else can make money on by still retaining those female animals into our herd that are going to keep us cattlemen in business in South Florida. So we have to have those females that have been adapted and do a better job. We're constantly trying to do a better job of selecting those bulls that have those attributes that are going to produce a calf that somebody else can make money on, or we can, like Florida Cattle Ranchers Group, and still produce those great females with enough Brahmin influence that uh, that is going to keep us in business down here in Florida. Okay, and Todd, did you have anything to add? I've worked in different places. I grew up in Kentucky. I worked in Oklahoma. I've worked in Texas. And the ranchers that I work with here in Florida are probably some of the most connected, most astute ranchers in the nation. They fight uh, not only lo lots of issues that they deal with on a regular basis, they, they work hard on the environment, they work hard working with mother nature or, or, or trying not to work against mother nature to produce a, a very safe product for our consumers. You know, there, there's a lot of things that these guys don't get credit for. 75% of the wildlife in the, in the United States is on private lands. And much of these big ranches, even the little ranches in Florida, serve as a reservoir for all kinds of wildlife, all kinds of endangered species. Um, the water quality issues and some of those things. And Jim can speak to those more because I think that, that the cow part is just one piece of the puzzle. Many of these ranches are involved in their communities. They're involved in, in, in what's going on with water. They're involved in so many different ways that a lot of people are not aware of. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So Jim, if you can speak to that some more, maybe, you know, some of the environmental impacts as well. I don't, I don't think people are always aware of that. And I'm sure uh, I have a lot to learn there as well. So tell me about how you guys make those impacts or provide those spaces for endangered species. Boy, Todd, you really teed that one up. Great. One of my other non-paying jobs is that I am the vice chairman of Florida Conservation Group, which advocates for ranches, ranch land conservation, cost share practices. But then the second one is really affiliated with University of Florida at the hip. And that is the Florida Smart, uh, Florida Climate Smart Agricultural Group. They have a national and an international presence. We have one here in Florida. I co-chair that committee with um, Lynetta Greiner, which is a timber and a cattle person in Chiefland, Florida. We have, uh, we have uh, nearly every commodity uh, represented there. So what we're looking at is what Todd kind of threw me a softball on the, on the ecosystem services and what we provide for the greater society of approximately 22 million people. And, and we are studying with the University of Florida. In fact, 
we just got a $2 million uh, budget uh, from the legislature uh, for University of Florida for $2.1 million to study artificial intelligence and ecosystem services that we're going to uh, chat here about. So Todd said that beef is just one component, and he's absolutely right. That, you know, in the old days, whenever you went by a ranch and you'd see a great landscape, you would also see a group of beautiful black cows, red cows, white cows, it doesn't matter. But you would, you would, sit, there, you would sit there and talk about, you know, what a great landscape that is. Now, we really have gotten to the point whenever they show up on the ranch and they, and they look at this ranch and they look at those animals and they look at that land, now we're going to talk about greenhouse gases and what that land does for the greater society. We're going to talk about water filtration. We're going to talk about uh, putting more moisture and water down in the aquifers by having that, those ephemeral wetlands, of which we have hundreds of thousands of ephemeral wetlands, are wetlands, those shallow wetlands that go dry during the dry times and fill up full of water. We have hundreds of thousands of those scattered across Florida, and, and we call them nature's kidneys, that they purify a lot of water before it goes downstream. So, you know, we all live in an area that water either flows to the Atlantic or it flows to the Gulf Coast. So water is key. And what we can do for water is great. Also, what we can do is ecosystem services. Looking at it is food security. We all want to eat. You're going to have that beef or you're going to have those vegetables. You're going to have those oranges. So now we've got some food security here. But in addition to that, we provide endangered species habitat on these large ranchland landscapes, timberlands, and we provide endangered species, but also wildlife, all wildlife corridors. So we, we've done, we do a lot, and I think that needs to be the conversation, not just we're producing some good hamburgers, but we are giving back to society those things that now and into the future, they're going to need off our great landscapes of timber and cattle to survive in Florida when we talk, and we could talk about climate change, sea level rise. Right now, I just had a meeting last night. We cannot sell any more insurance through Farm Bureau on new housing because of a lot of factors. One of them is sea level rise along the coast. There's certain areas that you cannot hardly get insurance. If you do, the flood insurance is high. We know that something is happening. You know, we know that something's happening here in the state of Florida, and I believe we're ground zero for a lot of issues saying we can go back to uh, the genetics of cattle if they can do that that gene that we have better cattle Holsteins, Jerseys, Brahmin, Brayfords, whichever one that do well in hotter climates we may see not in my lifetime but maybe in another lifetime uh, see those things that we're going to have to adapt to but but we want it to where that family of four or three or five that pulls up there, I want those children and those parents, they're recognized exactly what these landscapes do for society because there's very few of us in this business. The mass, vast majority of folks are live on the coast or metropolitan areas, and that's where they are. And, and it's up to people like Todd and myself every rancher, every timberland owner, but also let's take in all those nursery operations. I mean, those nursery operations that are close to the coast provide a tremendous amount of attributes that society needs. You know, it's a proven fact that you have less stress, less heart attacks for the folks that live on a street in a suburban area that has trees that don't have trees. 
So if you recognize that and extrapolate that value out, that we need to be recognized for those things that we do for society other than put a piece of beef on the table. That's right. And I just, I don't think people know, right? I don't think people are aware. They just, and that's exactly why we're here today to hear this straight from the horse's mouth, so to speak, uh, and, and give this perspective. Um, so how long have uh, ranchers been invested in protecting the environment? Is this a new wave? Is this, has this been going on? I would say for 501 years, um, they have been active at this. Anytime your, your land uh, is in danger, then your business is in danger. And so these guys are, have protected their land and have worked to better that land for a tremendous amount of time. A lot of this land in Florida was originally um, uh, timber, scattered timber, and the timber companies came in and cut the timber off and then left when they got what they needed. And so it was left, and some of it would have been very non-productive land had it been left to grow up. Some of it would have regenerated into timber. Much of it was very wet. And through the water management district, some of that land was drained in the 30s, 40s, 50s, and farmed for different crops, whether it was sugarcane or sweet corn or tomatoes or strawberries or whatever it was. Uh, they are constantly working on improving that. And, but I think probably in the last 30 years, it has been a huge push as we've had more people come into this state um, there have been more issues with the environmental things that are going on. Um, more of the ranchers spend more, more and more of their time um, dealing and talking about those environmental things and looking at the opportunities related to them. Many of these ranches today are in the business of farming water. They're, uh, they're, they're like Jim said, they're serving as, as reservoirs for water and cleaning that water. And there's quite a bit of data that says as we move water out of those canals, run it through a ranch, it's filtered, and it becomes much more purified uh, before it goes back into the system. So, uh, you know, this is a very unique ecosystem compared to where most ranchers out west um, who are dealing with drought and fight drought constantly and no water, we have to balance all of the water issues and all the other environmental issues that exist out there. And I think they do a great job, and I think they've been doing it for a long time. Yeah, it really drives home. I've heard the phrase uh, that cattlemen are the first conservationists, right? So, and the first that, environmentalist, and exactly the first environmentalist, exactly. Um, you guys have shared so much about what the industry does, not just to get food on our plate, but for the environment and our state as a whole. So, tell me, Todd, what makes you proud to work in the cattle industry? Well, I enjoy the interaction with people like Jim and other other ranchers around the state. It charges my batteries to go out and talk to them about what they're doing, listen to what's going on. There are two or three groups uh, here, like the Florida cattle ranchers that Jim mentioned that I work very closely with. We're working on research things that relate to the quality of the, the beef that's being produced through their deal, um, looking at you know how, it, how the consumer may perceive that product. Um, working with them on the economic production side of that and what it costs to produce it. 
all of those things, you know, I work with another group called Florida Heritage Beef that is a, a group of ranchers that are very much at the edge of what they're doing. Uh, they're very national in terms of their scope. And so those guys charge my batteries. When I can get out in the state and visit with those people, um, it really helps me from, from that standpoint. And of course, those experiences I can take back to the classroom and share with my students. And, and, and I can give them real world examples of, of things that are going on uh, in the beef industry and how that affects, uh, how it will affect them in the future. And Jim, what about you? What makes you proud uh, to be a cattle rancher? Well, one thing I'm blessed. Um, I, I truly believe I am that I've been able to do what I wanted to do since I think I was probably six or seven years old. And uh, I've had a lot of help and a lot of mentors. And I think that's part of our responsibility is encouraging those folks that maybe want to do what we love. And whether they're that family operation or they're that one student that came from downtown Orlando that wants to be a Todd Thrift, um, then be a Todd Thrift. Then we need to encourage, we need to encourage those folks. But we face a lot of challenges here in Florida. Um, there's a lot of challenges that we have uh, to living in Florida because we're such a small percentage of the population in a high growth state. I think we are truly one of the most dynamic, diverse, and sexy states that there is in the United States of America. Uh, we're proud of what we do down in the country. But whenever we can walk hand in hand with a scientist and I can talk anecdotally, whenever I go to Washington, D.C., or I go to Tallahassee, or I speak to somebody that doesn't know about the cattle industry and take somebody that's a biologist, ecologist, an environmental scientist, and with them, I can talk about what I know, which is landscape level. What I can't do is get down in the weeds on research and data and quantification of data. That, by the way, is where we're at with University of Florida right now, we have a $100 million ask to the uh, federal government that our Florida Climate Smart Group, coupled with University of Florida, right now are doing a $100 million project to look into artificial intelligence and be able to quantify ecosystem services. University of Florida is sitting there with, I think, it is the ninth most powerful computer in the nation called the Hypergator. And we have the ability with that hypergator to use these stratas of information that we are going to get. So whether it's topography, whether it's radar, whether it's LIDAR, whether it's uh, motion sensors, whether it is uh, hygrometers, whether it is cameras that will identify the endangered species and then say this was panther one, two or three, or this was indigo snake one, two or three, go for tortoise, you know, and overlay all of those things. I'm, I'm really proud to be a part of um, that process we're going through right now. Be, we have to be profitable to be sustainable. You cannot have sustainability before you have profitability. We have to be recognized for those things of which we do for society. And it may not be a cash payment, but we must be, if we're going to stay in business in a state like Florida, that we see land appreciation values going up so dramatically right now that uh, it's very easy to decide that, you know, let's, let's, let's sell some of the property. One of the things that, uh, you know, that I'm particularly proud of is working with people like Todd and the folks at University of Florida and all of these nonprofits, whether it's Florida Conservation Group, Audubon Society, Nature Conservancy. There's so many of them that us ranchers, 
really need going into the future. We need their scientific data and research. Well said, well said. Um, so Jim, I'll ask you this first. What is the most common misconception that you hear about cattle ranching and how is that different from how you operate your ranch and other ranches that you're involved in? Is it, uh, is it our misuse of carbon? Is that, uh, is it our belching cows? Is it our farting cows? Um, <laughs> it's, I think it's a little of everything. And I can't lay my hands on, on one specific, oh my gosh, this is the issue. Um, I think it is this, all those misconceptions that, that we are going to lean on y'all to tell the story, which leans on the data that the Todd Thrifts of the world put together and give you and give me to where we can walk hand in hand. And I'm the guy that wants a cowboy to walk hand in hand with a scientist. I can tell that story, but I need somebody to back me up whenever, whenever we tell it. And Todd, what about you? What do you think that is the most common misconception that you hear? One of the things I think that a lot of people don't understand about cows is we run cows probably on over 50% of the land in this state. It may be closer to two thirds of the land. They're, they're everywhere. And they're utilizing land that much of which could not be farmed. We couldn't grow strawberries because it's too low and too wet, or uh, it, it's not necessarily the right topography or the right soil type. Or, And that's true of the whole United States as well. Cows, because they're a ruminant, uh, can utilize a lot of stuff that we have no reason to use. And you look at ecosystems like California, where cattle have been removed from that ecosystem. The result of that is fire, very often, very large, devastating fires. Cattle are an important part of that ecosystem. They have evolved in this ecosystem in Florida for 500 years. They take a product that you and I cannot digest, and they turn it into high-quality protein. We feed cows a tremendous number of byproducts as well. A lot of people think that, oh, well, we feed them all this corn and we could feed people all over the world that corn. And the reality is uh, we don't feed that much of that kind of stuff. We feed the byproducts of manufacturing food for humans. We feed molasses, which is a byproduct of the sugar manufacturing industry. We feed corn gluten feed, which is a byproduct of making the high fructose corn syrup. We feed... Um, all kinds of things like citrus pulp, which is a byproduct of orange juice. Those are fed to the cows in the wintertime as a supplement. And the rest of the time, she's really a walking solar energy cell because photosynthesis from the grass, it, we turn into high quality protein because she's got a rumen. Uh, for every one pound of human edible protein that we feed to a cow, we get four pounds of human edible protein back. Wow. And I think a lot of people don't understand that. Wow. That's huge. That's huge. All right. So as we wrap up today, I would ask you, maybe this is the toughest question so far, but if a listener to the podcast only remembered one thing we discussed today, what would you hope that they remember? Jim, I'll have you go first on that question. Whenever you look at the environmental status of these big landscape timber and, and cattle ranches, and you uh, decide where you want Florida to be into the future, we know we're going to have a huge population growth. We know we already have sea level rise. We know we're gonna have some climate change. 
We're going to be a dynamic state. We're going to be a political swing state, a presidential state. Um, we're going to we're going to need to attract a, a whole lot of folks. What they need to take with them is that to maintain all those, we really need these landscape level areas, and we need to recognize the benefits that they give to society. That it's not going to be a cattle ranch or something ecologically, environmentally better. No matter what you do, you're going to have impervious surfaces. You're going to have more pesticides or more herbicides, you know, if it's golf courses. But we are going to have those things. We're definitely going to have those things is recognizing how to save these areas that need to be saved and start working on it right now. Keep in mind also that history teaches us a lot of things. One is every single home or condominium or road or parking lot in Florida at one point used to be a cattle ranch. So every single thing that we look at at one point was something to do with cattle. The timber lands that stretch across North Florida had cattle across them. So you don't see any housing developments being bulldozed down for a cattle ranch you are going to see cattle ranches become housing development golf courses. So let's recognize that one thing that you can latch on to. So whether it's carbon sequestration, whether it's greenhouse gas effect, whether it's wildlife corridors, and corridors endangered species habitat, or the simple food security it's going to take for us to stay alive a hundred years from now, you know, recognize uh, what we do for society. Mm-hmm. And now Todd, so again, if our listeners forget everything else we said, what's the one thing you hope they remember? I would leave you with the thing that, that I think is very important, and that's food security. And Jim hit on that as well. I would like that we continue to grow the majority of the food we consume in this country, in this country. And Florida is an important piece of that puzzle. Uh, we have the safest, most efficient food supply system in the world here in the United States. And cattle are a big piece of that. What we do utilizing photosynthesis and the grass, I mentioned earlier, uh, areas that we can't use for anything else, we can put cattle there and we can raise a very high quality product from that and, and do it very effectively and enhance the environment in the process. Uh, we get a lot of negativity about environmental impacts and carbon and, and different things. The reality is cattle are probably net positive big time when we talk about all of the things that we've discussed today on this podcast. Well, thank you so much, both for your time and insight. I know I've learned a lot and I hope that our listeners do too. Uh, so thank you again for coming on the show today. Enjoyed it very much. Thank you for having us. Thank you. So that's it for today's episode of the Food is Our Middle Name podcast. Uh, To learn more about Florida cattle ranching and what we discussed today, you can check out the episode notes.